This podcast is brought to you by BMJ Best Practice. BMJ Best Practice offers evidence-based, continually updated and practical knowledge that will help you make better clinical decisions. Hello and welcome to this BMJ Best Practice podcast on data, AI, oncology and patients. Kieran Walsh is my name. I'm Clinical Director at BMJ. Data, AI, oncology and patients are a wide range of subjects to be addressed in one podcast. Individually, they're big topics, and when you put them together, you really get to high levels of complexity. To help us navigate this area and explain how they all fit together, we have on the line Dr. Aaron Sujantaran, Senior Medical Director and UK Clinical Lead at Flatiron Health. Flatiron Health is a health tech that specializes in data science and oncology. So Aaron, you're welcome. Let's start off with some problems and a very open question. Tell us about problems with data. Uh, Thanks, Kieran. Um, It's great to be here today. um, And thank you for the invite to uh, have a discussion today around uh, data and uh, the uses of healthcare data in particular. So as a little bit of background, Flatiron Health is a real-world data company that focuses in oncology. Um, We have been uh, established in the US for uh, about 10 years now and have expanded into uh, the international markets of the UK, Japan and Germany. Uh, And I think your question is critical about um, how we approach data, in particular healthcare data, um, in the research and patient care. So as many uh, clinicians will likely attest to, uh, the fragmentation of of clinical care is is very much a a global issue, uh, and particularly in oncology. Um, From the diagnosis uh, of a patient uh, through to their treatment uh, and follow-up, Often there are a number of different systems uh, that clinicians are using uh, on the front line to treat their patients um, according to the latest guidelines. And because these systems are often fragmented, uh, it does mean that all the data points are also uh, fragmented and that limits sometimes what we're able to do in terms of uh, research output. I would say this is not just the case for cancer, it could be said for uh, any sort of um, any disease um, and uh, healthcare data in general. One thing to to mention is that uh, cancer care is complex, and we know that a lot of the uh, systems that are used often have uh, what we call unstructured, unstructured data documents. So these could be radiology reports, clinical letters. Uh, pathology reports where there's often very important free text information. At the same time, uh, the drugs that are available uh, for different types of cancers are constantly changing uh, and the systems, the prescribing systems that use uh, in different hospitals uh, and health systems can vary. So the key is really to be able to bring together the structured data that's captured, for example, in prescribing data and also all of these important uh, unstructured documents that particularly in oncology hold really valuable information. And by bringing all of these together, um, our aim as Flatiron is to really reflect the entire patient journey um, from diagnosis 
up until treatment. Um, if a patient were, for example, to have progression of disease uh, or new sites of um, spread, then that's also something that we would like to capture uh, and endpoints such as progression and overall survival. Thank you, Aaron. That's really helpful. And you mentioned fragmentation of the patient's journey. And can you give me some examples of that? Would that be that maybe some patients have had an MRI scan, uh, others have had a CT scan, others have had other radiological tests? Is that what you mean? Yeah, that's a really really good question. I think the fragmentation is twofold. There's um, fragmentation in the sense that Often some of these investigations can be happening at different sites in different departments within hospitals or health systems. Uh, and therefore, with the patient traveling from place to place, there's an issue of bringing this information together. But having said that, even within one hospital or one health system, where you often have different departments and different systems for, say, imaging versus where the day-to-day um, clinical note-taking may also happen in a different system, often these systems aren't connected. And I think the goal is to be able to bring um, whatever the landscape, the important clinical information from all of these systems together, uh, and with an output being a research-ready data set on which you can reflect the entire journey. Okay, thank you. And you also, also mentioned unstructured data, example being free te- text data. How do you actually use data like that for the purposes of AI, perhaps? Um, The approach that we've taken is to, uh, one, standardize how we collect the information, but also have paid uh, particular attention to who is collecting that data. So um, we have uh, a group of clinically trained professionals, often oncology nurses, um, who perform what on Flatiron we call abstraction, which is essentially the extraction of the relevant information from the free text documents, as we mentioned, whether that be reports or, or clinical notes. Um, and we've also created a standardized framework um, for each data item within each specific cancer. So um, this is this is really important that it's standardized um, so that two different uh, individuals extracting information are following the same rules and our output is reflected in that way. Um, but it also allows us to do internal quality assurance to ensure that the quality of the data output uh, remains consistent and high. So um, that's that's the approach that we've taken. And on, on, the, on the question around uh, machine learning, um, I think this is a a vast space uh, and sometimes it's important to focus down on you know some of the areas that you know a particular company may be looking at and in our case the free text is you know a, a big point and the unstructured data is, is hugely significant and natural language processing is something that our teams are, are looking at closely uh, in order to one streamline the number of diagnoses of a particular cancer that we uh, do further analysis of, uh, but also working to identify particular snippets of information within a free text that are clinically relevant. Uh, and I think one of the advantages of, of Flatiron is that the validated da- data set that exists is something that has been 
completed in the procedures that I mentioned by clinically trained um, individuals, which very much is a gold standard, that any sort of um, natural language processing or validation can be done against. Okay. And in clinical terms, I wonder what's the purpose of all of this? Is it to achieve a precise diagnosis or precision type diagnosis of exactly the type of cancer the patient has? Is that correct? I think that I think there are a number of um, outputs from a high quality data set, which is tumor specific. I think research is is definitely one of those, and um, I think there's a real lack of high quality tumor specific real world data sets out there on which you can do key research that one can compare different treatments um, to also look at what are the types of uh, therapies that are currently being prescribed and also uh, you know provide an opportunity to benchmark and see whether uh, hospital systems are providing for example treatments according to national guidelines um, there's you know I think with very high quality data um, there is no real limit to uh, what you can use that data for there's research use cases, as mentioned, there's operational use cases, but there are also things where um, you can more more closely impact decision-making for patients on their clinical treatments. An example of that is if you have uh, good data on your local patients, for example, in terms of their characteristics, there is an opportunity, for example, to identify patients that would be most suitable for a trial uh, based on for example, the inclusion and exclusion criteria that, that most trials have. And, and I'd go one step further. I think the benefit of real-world data is that you're not limited to uh, patients who are eligible for trials, which, as we know, are often uh, fitter, younger, and not necessarily representative of the population at scale. And I think real-world data gives you the opportunity to look at those other patients whose outcomes we don't know as much about but are vitally important. Okay, thank you. And, and we should say at this stage that all this is dependent on patient consent and also being compliant with local and national privacy laws. Um, tell us more about um, the importance of understanding such privacy laws and consent, uh, Aaron, if you can. Yeah, absolutely, Karen. Yes, it's, 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 a, it's a critical thing. And, and I think the first thing uh, I would mention is that this can be different in, in different countries. Uh, and what's key is that within each country that a company is working in, that you have a local team that one has a, a clinical angle of, of how data is captured, but very importantly, also an understanding of the local privacy laws around uh, patient data. And, you know, that's something that is really important to Flatiron. Um, and our approach has, has been to, to work with local experts, with partner hospital systems, with, with external and internal um, key opinion leaders to really understand um, how we safely ensure the flow of data. Um, and that's something uh, that we've done in all of the countries that we, we currently work in, uh, patient engagement is key. 
and uh, flat time we have in the UK a patient voices panel. Um, happy to talk a little bit more detail about how that came into to being, but essentially that helps us to ensure um, that all aspects of our data model uh, are in line with um, with current recommendations, but also that there's transparency um, about the approach that we've taken uh, and the ethical uh, ethical sort of um, uh, processes that we need to follow. I guess that working in an international context where you're using data from patients from different countries, it's quite challenging because maybe the diagnostic pathway might be different in different countries or maybe certain types of cancer are picked up earlier in some countries and not so early in others. Is that correct? Yeah, I, th- I think having having data from different countries is is more of a, is, should be seen probably as an opportunity. Um, you are able to, for example, capture um, certain parts of a patient's cancer journey um, that you may not in in other countries because of the way that healthcare systems are set up and oncology care is delivered. Having said that, uh, it is important to where, wherever possible standardize the way that we collect data so that our end data set uh, is able to uh, reflect the differences within countries, but also allow them to be brought together for certain research questions. Um, and I think this is something that can work to the benefit of, of organizations by having a same approach to how you collect data, but in different countries. Um, an example is um, health technology assessment bodies like NICE, for example, um, who, who we have a collaboration with at Flatiron are often looking for real-world data to help their decision-making. And one of the things that we were able to leverage was that that some of our U.S. data, which is more mature, was uh, able to, sorry, may be able to provide further insight to uh, these bodies in, in other countries when they're making decisions about bringing drugs uh, to the population. And, and that's something that we were able to describe in, in a publication that we did with NICE and presented at ISPOR Europe um, last year. Okay, thank you. And you mentioned also the role of patient pan- patient panels. Um, uh, t- tell us about that and, and how you use such panels. Yeah, um, I, I think it's, it's critical um, that we have uh, a patient voice uh, and that we have transparent patient engagement. Uh, and that's really been our approach from the outset in terms of a little bit of sort of history on on how we got involved with patient groups. We initially, about two years ago, um, started working with organizations that have a really good reputation in doing patient engagement well. Um, And we particularly worked with uh, DataCam, which is the National Cancer Data Hub, and HDR UK, uh, as well as a few other organizations. And we specifically got feedback from uh, the DataCam uh, patient group um, that has been established uh, for for quite some time uh, and is run really well with really good input into the organization. And they actually provided some initial feedback uh, on our approach 
as a company um, and really inspired us to also create our own patient voices panel. So um, we established uh, a UK panel uh, a year ago, and that includes uh, patients both with a diagnosis of cancer or who are carers for, for patients with cancer, but we're interested to be involved in a company that's looking at oncology data. Uh, and, you know, I think it's been great. It's been one a great experience for our team uh, and the feedback we've had from the patients is that they've really enjoyed being part of our team and feeling like they're contributing to our day-to-day decisions. Um, and we've been able to, as, as mentioned previously, get their insights into uh, the approach we're taking around uh, our data model, as well as our privacy policy or our website, uh, and really have a transparent conversation to ensure that one, our messaging, but two, our approach is patient-centered. So, Aaron, thank you. Um, we really need to have data that is continually updated, and it's been a concern with the COVID nineteen pandemic that it's changed medicine and healthcare and the patient population at large, uh, and it makes some people wonder how much we can rely on real-world data that is pre-2019. Is that a cause for concern, do you think? Yeah, I, I think, you know, as, as we've, we've discussed, the, the COVID-19 pandemic um, has really enabled better use of real-world data. Um, and, you know, one of the implications of COVID-19, as, as we've seen in the UK, has been um that there has been you know a there have been studies to show that patients are presenting later um with their cancer diagnoses um and there's been a general impact on cancer care as a result so the accumulation of data and timely data is is critically important not just from an operational perspective to get uh, a closest to real-time understanding of um, where these delays are, but then also to understand what are the what are the sort of long term impact of of COVID nineteen in itself, but also some of the delays that have been uh, accompanied with it. And I think being able to capture the follow up, for example, after diagnosis um, in such patients is is really important for health systems. So, so I guess one of the effects of all this data is more precision diagnostic and precision management. And I wonder in the future, is it going to be possible for an individual doctor to know what um, the best management option for a patient will be without looking it up? Because there'll be so many options. Yeah, that, that's that's a really good question. I, I I think it's it's a multifaceted approach to getting there, um, and I think how you you know one of the things is that there's a lot of information out there already, and how do we digest that information? And I see some of that information actually as not necessarily the creating of databases, but the interpretation of of what's already out there, um, and you know I think that's that's hugely important. That's 
not necessarily the space that Flatiron is is working in in terms of digesting that. But I think I think all of all of it um, and bringing together you know innovation and companies that have a specialist interest and capability in um, in helping towards that goal is important. And I would say that bringing together the real world data is is a key aspect of that. Um, but I would also say that there is so much um, to do and uh, there's, there's a lot of innovation that I'm sure will happen in different parts of oncology and other health, health um, sorry, and other diseases. And it's really a question of sort of bringing all of those together um, and working toward a long-term goal, of course, of personalised medicine. Thank you. And, and that leads on to the next question. Tell us about triangulation of the real-world data with other resources, such as uh, knowledge resources. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that's something I, I could talk about uh, a sort of internal approach and then and then an external approach there. I think internally uh, we provide um, academic and industry partners with these cancer-specific real-world data sets that, that I mentioned and <clears throat> sorry, scientists and uh, researchers who are using that data uh, often need guidance, um, depending on how familiar they're with, of course, on uh, how to approach particular variables, how we have, um, what, what rules have we used to create our variables and also support on uh, analytics if required. And, and we house that information uh, in a portal that's available to anyone performing uh, analysis on our data. And I think that's critical information that needs to be updated and also shared with whoever's using uh, the database and ultimately trying to complete projects and, and publish on that data. On a sort of, you know, an external Approach something that comes to mind is um, we have done some work with uh, HDR UK on the data utility framework in 2021, and you know I think that's a good example of of a body wanting to um, you know, leverage knowledge, but essentially allow researchers to find, um, select, and understand the potential usefulness of a group of data sets. And that was something that we were able to sort of contribute to based on our previous knowledge. Okay, thank you. Let's come back to data and research. Say if you have a research project and the ethics committee approves it, but the data protection committee doesn't approve it, what should you do? Is, is that for researchers in general? Um, it's kind of a hypothetical question. Say if you had a a research project and the ethics committee approved your research project mm. but the data protection committee who you had to get it passed by as well didn't approve it yeah what should you do yeah i mean yeah i think i think that's you know a question that could be could be important for for researchers across the land uh and you know my if I had to answer that question on the spot, I would say both are vitally important. 
Um, I think ethics is, is of course important, whether that's on a national or local level, um, and with patient representation on that. But, you know, as important is the stewardship of data. So if there were issues around data protection, I think that researchers should, you know, inquire. Um, you know, often they may get some written feedback, but sometimes it's worth uh, a conversation if something is unclear to, to fully understand uh, what the concerns are from that committee and maybe, you know, proactively work on on the new approach in order to ensure that um, those guidelines are met. Okay, thank you. And the last question is a question about questions, really. What other common questions do you get asked about this subject? What have we missed? Yeah, I, I mean, one thing that I get often asked is, you know, what is the composition of a team that needs to try and one, understand the real world data space, but then two, work with that data and um, build the right systems uh, in order to create these data sets at the end. And, you know, I think this is a real example where one group of uh, specialists cannot solve the problem by themselves. Um, I think you definitely need individuals who understand, and, and this is about cancer data in particular, understand the clinical landscape, understand the treatment pathways um, for oncology patients. And I would add into that patients and patient panels uh, to represent that viewpoint. But you also do need people with the technical expertise of being able to actually work with often very complex and different clinical systems. Um, we know that there are a number of different clinical systems out there doing sometimes the same things, sometimes different things, but actually having the uh, the knowledge and the experience of, or technical experience to build the necessary sort of infrastructure to collect that data, make sense of it, um, and then produce impactful databases impactful databases um, for research and other use cases okay thank you very much Aaron and thanks to you all for listening we hope that this has been helpful if you do have further questions please do let us know and if you want to find out more about some of the diseases mentioned click in the link in the podcast to sign into BMJ best practice and have a look at the content on this and other relevant diseases Thank you once again.